The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Welcome to Ruthie's Table 4, a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. In September, the River Cafe will be 36 years old. And one of the great joys of having a restaurant for so long is watching the second generation, and now even a third generation, of our early customers grow up. Adwa's parents, Charles Eboa and Camilla Lowther, have been part of the River Cafe family since we opened, and Adwa's gone from being a young child ordering pasta, butter, and cheese, and then playing in the garden space outside with her friends, to a formidable woman focused on the political and social issues relevant today. After her own struggles with mental health and to support young women's well-being, she founded the organization Girls Talk, providing a safe space for girls to access resources, share experiences, create community, and feel less alone, a place to escape the chaos of the everyday, I think a beautiful phrase. Today, Adwa's just come from the kitchen grilling scallops and frying zucchini, and she's going to tell us what she learned and read the recipe so you can cook this at home. It's both moving and exciting for me to have Adwa here. Oh, that was so nice. <laughs> so you've been in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. You've been in the River Cafe kitchen. Which you, do you remember coming here as a child? My God, all the time. Little girl. All the time. Here. With Ronnie and Jonathan. Yeah. They used to take us all the time. And you've just been in the kitchen. And so you watched, your, your request for the recipe was scallops, grilled scallops with chili and zucchini. My name's Adriana, and I'm a chef at the River Cafe, and today I'm cooking some scallops on the grill. So first thing that... <laughs> and my name's Adjo, and I'm not cooking anything on the grill. <laughs> you can cook it with me if you want. Yeah, okay. okay cool. cool. We put them in the centre of the grill, because that's the hardest place. How long do you have to leave them on for? Not very long at all. Really? So you just keep them, don't move them around, keep them where they are, and then they'll start kind of coming off. You can kind of look at the bottom and see how they're cooking. Because if you move them too quickly, then they'll stick. Oh, wow. And then we're going to get some fritty made. I think, uh, Harry, you're doing fritty, right? Can you drop some fritty for us, please? So we have two recipes. One, I think it's really for the batter for the zucchini. And then, quite simple, the scallops. Scallops and zucchini fritty. Four firm ripe zucchini, one litre sunflower oil. For the batter, one cup all-purpose flour, three tablespoons extra virgin olive oil. I get always get really confused at the tablespoon and teaspoon. Yeah, well, <laughs> there is a difference. Like, one yeah. is quite small. No, no, but, like, the way it's written. Yeah, well, because it goes T-B-S-P, yeah, that's yeah. tablespoon, I mean, and it's, T-S-P is yeah. teaspoon. Yeah. Okay. Three tablespoons extra virgin olive oil, three tablespoons warm water, three egg whites, scallops, 16 shelled sea scallops, two lemons, extra virgin olive oil, 
Cut the zucchini into ovals, then into thick matchsticks. For the batter, sift the flour into a bowl, making a well in the centre. Pour in the olive oil and stir. Loosen the paste by slowly adding enough warm water to make a batter the consistency of heavy cream. Leave for 30 minutes. Heat the oil in a high-sided pan to 375 degrees. Beat the egg whites until stiff and fold into the batter. Dip zucchini, then fry in batches in hot oil until golden and crisp. Serve immediately. Scallops, heat the grill. Season the scallops very generously on both sides with salt and pepper. Actually, she said, only salt and then oh, pepper at the end. Don't, don't <laughs> put the pepper on. Yeah, don't. Okay. It burns quickly, so yeah. put the pepper on put afterwards. Put the pepper on after. Place on the grill until lightly brown and crisp, then turn over the grill on the other side. The scallops should be tender on the inside and crisp on the surface. Serve with lemon and a drizzle of olive oil. And I had some chilli on mine. So do you have to plate it all up? Yes. That's the really fun part about working here, is that you get to plate all of your food. Because where, who would usually do that in like another know, restaurant? In restaurants, you bring it up to the pass, and maybe someone on the pass would plate it. Uh, but here, you, you, get um, you get to do it, and it gives you, I mean, for me, it's really satisfying. Good portion. Let's do it. Here we go. Amazing. That's it. Yum. Wow. I'm coming here for dinner. Tell me about going to Vogue with Edward, because we did, yeah. um, when Edward Enifel became the editor, we did the party yeah. here. Do you remember that? We had a party for him. It was, was a great mental. party. You were the cover for his first issue. Yeah, yeah, that was mad, that Vogue party. I remember that like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember what us driving like? here. And I, you know, Edward and I still laugh about it now. It's like... It wasn't naivety, I think it was just this... We were just doing something that felt very special to both of us. It was like this, we were embarking on this new journey. And it wasn't necessarily that we were... We were completely naive to how the world was going to embrace it. Mm. You know, not only just people in fashion, but worldwide. It, you know, it really went yeah. viral, do you know what I mean, mm. I think. And so as we kind of pulled up... I pulled up, I can't remember who I was in the car with, maybe it was like my mum and dad and sister, and we pulled up the Shepherd's Bush roundabout and it was projected on Shepherd's Bush roundabout. What the hell is going on? And I looked on my phone and it was just like going mad and I actually like broke out into hives. I was like, ah, my God, this is so much. I don't even know how to like deal with this situation. I pulled up to River Cafe and Edwin and I just giggled. We could not stop laughing. I think we were both so overwhelmed by what had happened that we kind of just like could not stop laughing it was mad it still feels really mad we all had ravioli do you remember we had this long discussion before whether all the vogue people the models and the the actresses and the young beauties of today would actually have gluten carbs cheese butter and whether we would serve it, and we did. And and Vogue was actually really cool because we said, do you want to find out what people want to eat? And they go, no, we're done with that. We're done with, you know, if you have a food preference, we're just going to do the menu and what they eat, they eat. And everybody had ravioli, and everybody, a lot of people had seconds of ravioli. And yet the the whole issue at the t- of being a model about your body, t- talk about being a woman in a profession that requires you to be a certain shape and size. I think... 
I don't remember being worried. I think there were moments when I was at school where I was kind of worried about what I looked like. Sometimes I didn't, I wasn't at a girls' school, but you know, I lived in a house full of women. So sometimes when someone would get a bit like weird with food or they'd have, you know, issues, it kind of sometimes bleeds into everyone else within the community. Do you know what I mean? We, we see that all the time. And I think. When I started modelling, I don't, again, remember feeling that pressured about it. I think I just felt, like, incredibly painful in my own body in general. So it wasn't necessarily, like, kind of weight-related. I think there's always been, like, parts of my body that I haven't, like, loved. Do you know what I mean? And I've had to grow to love. Um, Are you the kind of person that can eat but not gain weight? Um, yeah, because I've always done lots and lots of sports. But did, were other models that you were with, what, what, did you feel that to be a model you had to be a sport? Yeah, I got weird with food for a period of time where actually when I got sober, and they call that transference, you know, I think I was just trying to control something else in my life. So I got a bit weird with food when I was about 22. Um, I think it was just control, to be quite honest. and um, And I think... Wait for me, you know, if I'm, I suffer with anxiety, you know, and so when I'm anxious, it just falls off. It falls off, yeah. yeah. I'm not the type of person, sometimes I am eating, but it literally just falls off all the time. So sometimes I haven't even been, like, aware of, like, dropping weight. I think um, I've always done a lot of exercise and I kind of now do Pilates, so... I used to, I build a lot of muscle. So my body has changed, like, you know, over the course of, like, many years, I think. And so I think, um, because Edward- I think when I got started modelling properly, I decided there was a part of me that had that to do it, to really kind of walk into it again. I had to take on... It was almost like a... It wasn't necessarily that I felt like that, but I had to be like, this is who I am, do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. take it or leave it, do you know what I mean? I'm not going to be sucked into this idea that I should be thinner or look a different sort of way for you to kind of um, appreciate me or want me. So I had to... And that's not exactly how I felt all the time, but I had to sort of fake it to make it. So it wasn't necessarily... I think... I've always, I don't know, I was speaking on the pod, my own podcast about this the other day. I think, um, I wonder if my relationship with myself will ever be what I want it to be mm. whilst I model. Mm. I don't know if my, I have a, to a certain extent, a healthy relationship with myself. Mm. But I wonder if my relationship with my yeah. body will ever be what I want it to be as long as I'm kind of within the industry. And yes, it has changed like drastically, do you know what I mean? Um, The likes of um, amazing people spearheading um, different sorts of movements. But, you know, we only have to kind of look at certain photos or fashion shows and we see the kind of the pressure that's put on us. I almost find it painful. I haven't been to that many catwalk shows. I think probably it has changed. When you see... You know how thin and kind of serious, and you know. I know it's there to just showcase the 
the clothes. And so it's like being a, a hanger. But there is something as a woman to see women doing that job. It's a little bit Yeah, and also when you know that someone's like kind of unwell, yeah, whatever that looks like for different people, when you know someone's kind of suffering yeah. with, and you know, disordered eating, but they are praised and celebrated yeah. within the industry yeah. and they work even more. Yeah. It's... That in itself is an uncomfortable thing yeah. to get your head around. I think that's where sometimes the pressure for me lies. It isn't that I want to be unwell. It's just the fact that I see people doing well because of it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, that's, yeah. a, that's, that's a mad thing to get your head around. Do you know what I mean? And, it's, and I don't think that kind of breeds... Um, healthy ways of looking at yourself you know if you're being told that you are better for mm. being thin mm. um, and I suppose the other you know what we haven't talked about we've talked about body image and modeling we haven't talked about race and I think that there is also the issue of what it was like to be or what it is like to be a woman of color in a very what was which, thanks to Edward it's it's not so much and people like Edward but how that affected your... I think that's something that I'm really delving into at the moment is how um, a lack of understanding about my own identity has really kind of hindered certain aspects of my growth, do you know what I mean? And having been brought up in a predominantly white space, what that, how that has affected me, how the things that I've tolerated, the things that I've kind of brushed off, and I think because of the resurgence of Black Lives Matter... Mm the conversations that they were having, it kind of, it really kind of shook people's core. It wasn't that we were just talking about slavery, something that happened, you know, years and years ago when Not people... Not many years ago. I know, but for certain people, like, they <laughs> weren't around where they thing. happened, you know, yeah, when that yeah. happened. So they were like, oh, well, I wasn't part of that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, would, I didn't do anything like that. And I think Black Lives Matter kind of um, brought it, made it current, and suddenly you were kind of, they were speaking about things that you had to check yourself on. And I had to, suddenly was, I think, validated in a lot of um, experiences and feelings that I had surrounding my own race and, and how I'd had to kind of navigate certain situations. Yeah. And also, I think I was, also my privilege, you know, we talk about colorism within the community as being someone who's like mixed race and lighter skinned the way that I was treated compared mm -hmm. to... Um, my cousins who are, you know, who are, who are a lot darker mm. skin than me. You know, I think that's a conversation that we don't have enough either. Um, but um, for me, I think it was great. You know, when Edward started doing what he was doing, what he does and continues to do and sets the bar so high continuously, I think for me it had always been unspoken how uncomfortable I'd felt in certain situations. Mm. Um it was almost that I didn't want to give it a name. It's like I felt that there were certain reasons why my career hadn't taken off, mm. you know, when I'd started with certain people, you know, who looked very different to me. I think I still was searching for something that was completely unattainable, mm. different hair, different body shape, you know, yeah. sometimes even, like, you know, different coloured skin, you yeah. know. And so I think I didn't want to blame it on something like that I was like why you know I started at the same time as Cara I started at the same time as so many girls and they kind of 
reached such great heights. And I was like, why is that? Do you know what I mean? And I think it was quite nice when Edward, there was many things that were beautiful about it, but like having him come in and be like, we got to change that. This yeah. is what is going on. Do you know what I mean? Um, were you born here or in Ghana? Yeah, yeah, born in London. And your father is Yeah, Ghanaian. He was born in Accra. So going and back my, was part of your childhood? Yeah, very much so. It was always something that we did. Sometimes my mum came and sometimes it was just the three of us. And I think it felt quite alien at that time. And as I grew older and kind of my career changed and obviously I became like a grown-up, my relationship with Ghana very much changed. I felt like kind of, instead of just a kind of traveller, someone who'd like been born in London yeah. and who'd come back to Ghana, I felt like they really claimed me, which yeah. was really like a kind of beautiful experience, yeah. you know. I think especially after the British Vogue cover, you yeah. know, it was like, they call you a Bruni, which yeah. means like a kind of traveller, because right. I'm obviously a little, like, paler skin yeah, than most yeah. Ghanaians. Yeah. Yeah. And I think after that, I felt very much like cl- kind of claimed by the people there, which was really, really amazing. But it, I have the most amazing memories of Ghana. We always used to stay at my grandma and granddad's. It's a, just a modest house yeah. n- next to a nursery. So there were always like kids playing outside. My grandma has always had a little kind of like corner shop. So we'd go in there, get our like cold bottles of like Coke and like biscuits. Then we'd sit there and watch her and my Aunt Mary. All three of them lived together. So we'd watch them did do you Did you cook? Did she cook for you? Yeah, she cooked. And then she had a woman who also helped her yeah. comfort. What is Ghanaian food like? Um, it's amazing. I mean, you've got the jollof rice. You've got lots of different kind of fish. You've got fufu. Mm. Which, What's fufu? So it's um, like a kind of dough mm. that you dip into mm. a soup. Mm. Um, the spice there is kind of like, it's like an oily one. It's amazing. And chili? Yeah. A lot of chili? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And fish? Really spicy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you go to the market? Do you yeah. go to the, what's the God, market? the markets are mad. Are they? Mad. <laughs> like <laughs> insane. Just like bustling food, clothes, people wandering around. It's like mental, but amazing. And how long would you stay? We'd stay for like two weeks. Yeah. I have some cousins who usually stay there a bit longer. Dad and my sister were there this year. My dad goes back all the time. He does. Oh. All the time. Yeah. My granddad's not alive anymore. My Aunt Mary, she's not alive anymore. But my grandma yeah. very much still yeah. there. And my Aunt Tina lives with her. So, yeah. yeah. So what was it like growing up in your house? You have memories of, yeah. of meals, you know, who cooked. And my you... house has always been a place that is kind of um, people are in and out. Mm. At all times, you know, I very much grew up with maybe it was someone who had to move in for a bit. Mm -hmm. You know, my godfather would move in or someone in, you know, distress would be upstairs living in the upstairs room. Um, There were always parties and dinner parties and 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 lots of different people kind of in and out of the house. You know, my mum has always been like an entertainer. Mm -hmm. My dad as well. The home has always been one that kind of, um, it feels like sacred, but they're not precious about yeah. it, you know. Yeah, a place that people want to Yeah, the, to. the carpets are rolled up yeah. when a party happens. Nice. But, you know, they've never been kind of like, 
prim and proper, yeah. prim and no, proper no, no, no. about their their places. But and were you kids part of it? Do, yeah, were you kind of you weren't sitting on the steps watching the party. No, go no, on. you were down there. No, we'd be down away. there. We yeah. do like things like coat check. Yeah, yeah, nice. and we like charge everyone money, <laughs> <laughs> and then they'd find all their coats just piled <laughs> up on one go. bed, yeah. pretending That's like cute. we'd organise them, so or we'd be like sat on the staircase watching everyone get up to whatever mischief they were getting up yeah. to, and then later on we were just joining in. Would you go out a lot? Would you go out yeah. to restaurants? We do such yeah. amazing things, you know. What did you do? That's the thing about growing up in London. It's mm-hmm. like I mean, I wouldn't want to bring my children out anywhere else. I loved it. Galleries and restaurants and they took us everywhere. Did they? It was never about separation. It was like mm-hmm. you want to sit with the grown-ups, you learn how to sit with the grown-ups. Mm-hmm. You you know, learn how to converse and listen mm-hmm. and and talk to mm-hmm. whoever might be next to you or in mm-hmm. front of you. But it was never like my parents were never into the idea of like putting you on the kids' table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if we were younger, it was like, come out, enjoy yourself. When you get tired, just sleep under yeah. the table. Yeah, yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And then we'll go home. And then you went away to boarding school? Yeah. Yeah, what was that like? The food. Yeah. Horrible. Horrible. And Millfield's, meant, was it Millfield? Yeah. It's meant I to mean, be rather proud of it, but was it was I mean, do you know what? Maybe this yeah. is my snobby side. No, no, I'm no. not great with a buffet. I no. think school kind of like traumatized yeah. me from yeah. that. I mean, some days it would be good. Like, the salad station was, like, banging. Like, that was good. But to be quite honest, I lived off Domino's for, like, five years. Oh, you were allowed to? (laughs) No, you you weren't. We we weren't allowed, but we'd, like, sneak it in. And then in prep, we'd, like, run out and get the pizza and, like, bring it back in and all share it. On Fridays, we were allowed, like, to order an Indian or a Chinese. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. So that that must have been quite shocking to go from a house that was full of people and friends and good food. To yeah, to... I think it was also, I mean, there were certain days where it was good. Yeah. Chinese day wasn't that bad. In, Indian day wasn't that bad. How old were you? 13 to 18. That's yeah. five years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then you'd come back weekends or would you stay? Well, you were only allowed, what do they call it? I can't remember what they used to call Exiat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You were only allowed a certain amount of exiats, but I had the best housemistress on the face yeah. of the planet, Mrs. Orton. And she, I was really homesick. Yeah. I mean, I kind of got over it, but it wasn't my favorite of years being at that school. I had some great friends, but I was just desperate to come back yeah. to London. Then from Millfield, you went to university. You went to, mm-hmm. what was that like? Brunel, yeah. Where is Brunel? That's in Uxbridge. Mm-hmm. I mean, I tried to get into Goldsmiths. I failed my English exam. I can't remember which one it was because you mm. realise that it really doesn't matter. No, it yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm just yeah, telling you. you. <laughs> I mean, try your best, do all the yeah. things, but like, so for the listener, don't put that much pressure with, on yourself. We're here with a friend of mine's daughter and the head, head executive chef's daughter, Pearl of Helena. Pearl joined us today because she's a 15-year-old aspiring actor. She's an enormous admirer of your work. And so... Yeah. I can't believe Pearl's 15, though. Yeah. Oh, there you um, go. There you go. And well, so we were talking about whether university Brunel. matters. So what was that like? Obviously wanted to save money, so lived at home. But were you happy there? So, yeah, I had the yeah. best time. Did I had you? The Why? Be- because I think it was just I was back home. I yeah. was back in London. I was back... It was more, it was predominantly 
I mean, Millfield was very kind of like intersectional, do you know what I mean, in many ways, but it was predominantly white. And I think coming back to London, it wasn't just the kind of necessarily race, it was also a boiling pot of people mm. who'd grown up differently, do you mm. know what I mean? It was like I'd grown up completely different to a lot of the people in my kind of class, but it, I was, I just felt, I felt like that was just more me. I just wanted yeah. to be amongst that, um, yeah. So living at home, did it come come back? Did it feel like before you went to Melbourne, you no, back to being a child again? it was very weird, it was very weird. I wouldn't say it was a great time yeah. for my mine and my parents' relationship. I think, you know, I think they thought sending me to boarding school, I'd, there would be more rules. Mm. But actually, when someone doesn't know you like a teacher, you can get around them, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. actually, you've kind of weirdly got more space to roam. Yeah. Um, and so coming back to London, obviously there were certain rules, but I think if I was honest, and I've, you know, I've spoken to them about this anyway, I think coming back home after five years, I was a bit like, you can't really tell me what to do. Do you know what I mean? I like, we haven't lived together for five years. So I think that dynamic um, was quite hard on our relationship. I think I probably regressed. I think I wasn't used to the fact that I was back li living under their roof, um, and I was, like, very much a different person. Yeah. I remember once saying to my father, I might have said this once before, but saying to my father when I was um, 30 or 28 or whatever, and I'd been living in London and working, and my parents lived in, the, in upstate New York in Woodstock, and I once went home, and I was said to my dad, oh, I'm going to leave the baby and go into New York tomorrow, and he said, I don't think you should do that. And I said, you know what? I live in London and I work and I, I don't have to ask anybody's, you know, nice way I said permission, but it's interesting that when, you know, I go home, I don't know whether I'm a child or I'm an adult. Yeah. And he said, I'll make it really easy for you. Ruthie. The minute you walk in that door, you're a child. Really? And, <laughs> and it was actually quite nice because I thought that's kind of why I like going home, you know, is that suddenly somebody's saying, you know, no, why don't you stay here or whatever. It was just interesting. It's like a dance, isn't it? You have to learn how to live with each other again. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Help helps is a maxim I believe in. We all carry around stress and hardship, and when we keep it inside, it starts to chip away. Therapy is a safe place, and therapy is for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Ruthie. BetterHelp dot com slash Ruthie. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now.
When you went to Brunel, what, what were you thinking of majoring in? What was your Theatre. Yeah, Theater. that's what I, I finished. That's yeah. what I majored in. Yeah. Did you eat out a lot? Did you party? Did you... Yeah, I went out all the time. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> and? All the time. Yeah. I mean, we were so What funny. year was this? I was 18. Yeah. yeah, and you were born in 1992. Yeah, 1992. So, yeah, 1992. yeah. so what, did I finish school? 2010, yeah. so yeah. 11, yeah. yeah. We had the best time. I worked as soon as I kind of finished school. Modelling? Uh, mm, there were bits of modelling, but it wasn't, it was like a different time, do you know what I mean? So I worked mm. in a shop, I worked as a nanny. But we were so, we had so much fun, do you know what I mean? We was like, I don't know how it is for you, Pearl, but we just... We were so carefree and mad and doing our thing. And, and well, you all, were probably 18. Then. Yeah, and we yeah, all pile our money. Yeah, I just mean being young, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like we weren't bothered about kind of what clothes we were wearing or yeah. anything like that. We didn't have the pressure of like social media or anything like that. It was just about ge- being in a gang, do you know mm. what I mean, and roaming the streets. and Mostly girls or was it? Yeah, things? mostly. I've always been a girl's girl. Yeah. And we'd all put our money together and, like, share one meal, like, poor restaurants where we just sit for hours and hours and hours outside kind of coffee shops sharing one coffee between, like, five of us. And they're like, can you leave if you're not going to buy anything? Can you leave? Or we'd go to, like, kind of my friend Josh Delissa, who might as well be my brother, he had a restaurant called Boom Burger. We'd go in there, get cheap prices. Um, We had some Mexican restaurants around the, the area and we'd all put our money together to share, like, kind of one plate of food because I mean we were quite naughty we were spending our money on like alcohol and going out (laughs) so we didn't really have a massive interest in spending our money on food so modeling when did that happen and how did that happen I mean I've been modeling on and off since I was probably since I left school so since I was 18 though I did a few bits and pieces like before but my mom was very strict about and my dad as well, about finishing school. Mm. Modelling kind of took quite a long time to kind of take off, so that's why I kind of worked. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, did I did. Like process? I think I've learnt to like it more. I learnt to like it when I, as cheesy as this sounds, when I started to like myself, to mm. be quite honest. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That's when it became more fun. And yes, there are days when... I'm on my period or I'm a bit exhausted when I'm like, this is literally the last thing I want to do. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's be like kind of showcased in front of a bunch of people and then kind of, it's like Instagram have to kind of, and then I start picking apart my kind of who I am. Do you know what I mean? Face value, not who I am as a person actually. But Can I ask a question? Yeah. What made you want to do a podcast? I think it goes back to this this idea of storytelling, I think, and... The information out there on what lived experience does in, in regards to stigma reduction and suicide reduction. Um, and so I couldn't think of a better place. There's something about an honest conversation, an honest chat. Intimate, isn't it? Yeah, it's, there's so much like intimacy within that and to just listen to someone. And I think it really was that. It's like to talk to someone, to hear their side of a story to hear where they've come from and where they're at and where they hope to be. I think that's definitely the essence of having the podcast is, is that idea that when we hear someone else's story, we're going to feel less alone. Yeah. So you were talking about Girls Talk. 
Tell me when the next series that you're so excited about is coming out. So podcast, I'd say just keep a lookout. It'll okay. be towards the end of the year. Keep a lookout for September. How do we look for it? Yeah, so just our Instagram handle is Girls Talk. I'm at Girls Talk, G-U-R-L-S Talk. Do you listen to Girls Talk? Yeah, I have. What, what do you like about it? I love listening to things that say like you know um i love these things that's just like yeah that's so should be said that so should be spoken about more you know what yeah. i mean people's fear of speaking out stops them from saying, like saying the truth you know that's what i really like about it you know like speaking about grievances or trauma or like mental health like all those type of things are just not talked about enough yeah <laughs> and i think um i can't wait for the new season to come out i feel more grown up and even more opinionated and even more confident I find and I don't know if this is because of social media or cancel culture that sometimes we're quite agreeable with each other and I want to have conversations that aren't always with people that I agree with I want to also learn about Mm. things that I have no idea about and I want to sometimes have those uncomfortable conversations Mm. where I'm not only kind of not necessarily agreeing with the other person, but I'm also being checked about Mm. what I don't know Mm. and the ways that I think about things, do you know what I mean? Mm. And so um, we've kind of changed that, and it's going to be really cool. We've got some mega people on the podcast. I love hearing people's stories, you know. I love meeting people, you know, who come from different backgrounds. Exactly. Everybody comes in with a story. Look around it. I've had people come in and say... Oh, you know, look at you know, how this fabulous restaurant, and I've had such a hard time lately. And I gave, if you went to every table, everybody would have a story. You're so There'd be good a at that, story though, how you walk about, around. Yeah, but, you know, people, you know, we all think that you see all these people and their lives are perfect, and then you find out one is a kid, they've just been divorced or they've had a kid with addiction or they have, everybody has a story. Mm-hmm. And so those smiling, happy faces, whether you see them on Instagram or here, you know that, that everybody has a yeah. story. And as you say, I love walking around and, and just hearing a bit of the story or saying hello. Do you think, Pearl, that do you think that's when, when um, Edward talked about social media pressure, do you think that exists now a lot? Well, I think especially hearing about what you were saying about how when you were a kid and you used to like, it used to be much different to it as now because you didn't have social media. And I think it really affects more how people look at themselves because you've got mm. Instagram and you've got TikTok and you've got all these things and if you don't have it, you're like not in with the times but if you do, then you're just making yourself feel worse by yourself. But you can't be like, um, like for example, when people are like, oh, I don't want social media, it's bad. People look down on you for it. But in reality, it's much better if you didn't have it. Like for you, you're probably happier in those times than like kids are now. Oh, yeah. 100% because it's, there's one thing, you know, getting to know yourself and figuring out who you are over those, like, 13 to 18 and then onwards. Do you know what I mean? It was, like, such a confusing time. And that's already, like... You know, I was talking to these girls the other day, like, 13 to 14, and there was a question, like, what would you say to your younger self? And I would be like, I used to scrutinise every single thing I did, the shoes I wore, the way I wore my eyeliner, the way my hair was, the the way I carried my bag, the the way I walked. Do you know what I mean? I was, like always on my case about every single movement and I think I would tell everyone that you don't need to do that I wish I'd stop putting so much pressure on myself because you realize when your world gets bigger that none of it truly matters do you know what I mean and I think to add in the pressure of having to kind of be perceived by other people it's like I already was kind of self-conscious so to then have to kind of portray 
a person that I maybe wasn't, mm. hadn't become yet. Do you know what I mean? Something that was um, maybe just kind of performative yeah. would have been like an added pressure at that time. Oh. And you know it happens at any age. You know, I can, yeah. you know, we're talking women's talk. My husband died a year and a half ago. And sometimes I just look on Instagram and go, you know, another happy family, you know, in the, you know, beach resort or another grandparents with a grandchild. I mean, I'm, I have that life. But, you know, it's very, you can look at it in terms of whether you're thin enough, whether you're, you know, whether your hair is as beautiful, whether you're a certain type, what the clothes you're wearing, the way you carry a handbag. Or you can look at it in families and you can see, you know, it just feels that there's, I, I really, I never post from a vacation. I really, I oh, learned neither. that a long time ago. There's nothing worse than on a day like today working and then you see somebody on there, you know. That's and what it's I'm just saying. saying. <laughs> it's like, I was you know, saying that you yesterday. Do, there's a, the, The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Is it acting what you wanted to do yeah. when you went to Brunel? Yeah, yeah. that's what, yeah. from 13 until 18, I did that at school. And then I went on to study that at Brunel. And then kind of life took a different direction, not only kind of personally, and then it became something, you know, then I kind of fell into modelling and that started mm. taking over, so I kind of jumped on that bandwagon and, and that led me to where I am now. And then I think just before COVID, I made a kind of decision that I wanted to give it another go. Mm. You know, I wanted to put 100% in it and see where it would take me. Um, because I think when I first left university, I had a different head on my shoulders and my priorities were warped and I wasn't a very happy person, so I didn't, you know, have the the capability or to, to give it 100%. So that's where I'm at now. I'm, I'm on that journey Good. and I absolutely love it. It's Good. ridiculously hard, respect to all is it film actors or and is actresses. Is it theatre that you want to do? Oh, I would love to do theatre one yeah. day, but at the moment it's, it's TV and film. TV yeah. and film. And now you're living in your own apartment? You yeah, my own house. house, yeah, yeah, yeah. And how is that? Oh, it's really nice. Well, you what's know? your kitchen? Do you have an open kitchen yeah. there as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's it like? Kitchen, it's, my kitchen's yellow, blue and white tiles. Yeah. I mean... Describe it. It's... It's very much open. I've got an island in the middle that has like a kind of heart bone engraved in it that my friend Jeff did. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's got a massive, big, like kind of teak table with matching chairs that I posted in like leopard print. Are you like your parents? Do you like people yeah. coming to you yeah. instead of you going to them? Yeah, I love yeah. it. I mean, I think 
to a certain extent, I grew up in an African household. So the idea that we were going to spend the night at other people's houses yeah. was like something that was like, my dad just did not understand. He's like, you have a bed, you have a house. Like, why do you need to go and stay at someone else's house? Yeah. There were certain people that we went to, but like eating at home and sleeping at home has always been like a yeah. kind of a priority within our house. You know, and let's what do, be together. what do you cook now um, when you have your kitchen? Or do I, you go I wish, out most of the I was time? talking to Pearl about it, actually. I mean, I actually eat in a lot. I now spend a lot of time between London and LA. And when I was working before COVID, I didn't really have the time to cook. It wasn't a necessarily a priority for my of mine. So I used to order a lot of takeaway. And I think after COVID, I started reprioritizing what was important. So mm. I did have more time. And so mm. my boyfriend's a really good cook. My sister lives with me and she's an That's amazing nice. cook. I like cooking if it's like family or people who are really close to me I don't feel the pressure Mm. I'm not the idea of cooking for like 10 people or something that doesn't excite me if I'm cooking for myself it's like simple things like fish and and vegetables or eggs soup Mm. you know stuff like that you don't eat meat no, I don't eat meat. I eat fish. Has that been recently, or is it? No, no, I, I, I haven't eaten. Do you know what? Weirdly, I've started like, I think I've just been listening to my body a bit more, mm-hmm. and so like, if it's the time of the month or something like that, I'm like, oh, I kind of really feel like some, some mm-hmm. meat, mm-hmm. and um, I've never had that before. So I kind of am listening to my body a bit more, but I still very much like kind of, in when I'm cooking at home, especially in LA. We have like a tiny, tiny kitchen, so we're not gonna cook fish because it would just make the whole house smell like fish, mm. the little flat uh-huh. we have. So we cook a lot of vegetarian stuff at, yeah. in LA. And then at home, you know, we, I have more space. Um, and so we cook lots of different things and have people around. I wish I, I've grown up in a household full of amazing cooks. Mm. Um, my cousin's amazing cook, my aunt and my uncle, everyone. You know, they have recipes that were handwritten by my grandma about yeah. certain things. I love you know what I mean? Things, yeah, yes. that. And I think I remember my mum always Is saying that, your that when I'm. and grandmother, your mum. No, my mum's mum, mm. yeah. I always remember my mum, like, I mean, there were there are many things that were kind of sad when her mum died, but I think she always thinks about, you know, when she needs answers on certain recipes, yeah. she always thinks about the idea of calling yeah. um, my grandma. And um, my dad is an amazing cook as well. Huh. And so I should be more interested in it. Well, you don't. There's, there's no I'm the cleaner. I'm could, the cleaner. Yeah, well, that's fine. Uh, you know, I think you could, everybody figures out. I do the dishes. Do. Well, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, for you, do you but. remember when, when it became possible for you to go out to eat and not think about how much it cost? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think. So I moved 2017, I moved to LA um, when I got sober. But I don't, I wasn't eating out that much, to be quite honest. I didn't have the money. I was, I'd kind of taken a year off. And my mum and dad were supporting me for the first time in a long time, which I found, like, kind of incredibly uncomfortable. So I kind of was under a certain budget, do you know what I mean? And I think probably maybe when I really could just, like, go to the restaurants and come here and, like, pay for myself, I probably was about 25. Hmm. And yeah. you've been, 25 and, and, and on. And had come from modelling or to acting? or both? Yeah, modelling. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a big change. Yeah, moving to New York. Yeah. So I moved to New York when I was 24. Right. Had my 25th birthday in New York. And that's probably when it started to change. You know, that's when I could, like, order a takeaway or, like, go to this restaurant called Lucienne and, like, or get my friend a meal yeah. or pay. You're not alone in that, you know, that it was something that I was talked when I talked to David Beckham, he said he remembered when he took Victoria out and they could actually, you know, not have to completely look at the prices on the right-hand side. Or Paul McCartney saying that he thought wine was a horrible drink because he could only afford the cheapest, cheapest, cheapest wine, which, as we know, is pretty hard well, to do drink. You know what? And the he just thought wine was a horrible drink until... He went out with Brian, you know, Epstein, who was his manager, and they ordered a fantastic bottle of Lafitte and thought, oh, that's what wine is. Well, so the mad thing is, is I've never tried a good glass of wine. Well, never. Well, you're sober now. Yeah, so. no, but, but I got but sober when the, I was, was 20. Cheap wine. I got sober when I was 22. Yeah. So I wasn't like spending the money right, on like, right. we were going to the corner shop and yeah. getting like a Casarillo Diablo. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And like a cheap yeah. bottle of tequila with a yeah. hat on it. Yeah, yeah. So wrong, so wrong. And so, so I've never actually, you know, I've never had a, like, yeah. stunning cocktail. Yeah. I've never had a, like, yeah. beautiful glass of wine, and it's fine. But it is mad to think that I've never actually, because... And to be honest, like, that's why I could probably, like, go and eat out. Do you know what I mean? I've never had the expense of having to kind yeah, of buy alcohol. alcohol as well. And I suppose, you know, for me that is, you know, we all have reasons why we eat the food we eat. Um, food can be something you have when you're hungry. It can be something that you have when you want to cook or you want to entertain. It can be, food can be um, alleviation of pain or sadness. So I suppose, Edouard, that my last question to you is what would you turn to if you needed food for comfort? Mm. I'd go home, definitely. I don't know if it's anything in particular... I think it would just be something cooked by my mum and dad. That's Anything nice. that was put in front of me yeah. would feel comforting. That's beautiful and a beautiful way to, wait, to end a wonderful Thank talk. Thank you and a wonderful so afternoon. much. Thank you. Oh. Love you. Love you. Good. Love you, Pearl. <laughs> yeah, we love you, Pearl. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. The River Cafe Lookbook is now available in bookshops and online. It has over 100 recipes beautifully illustrated with photographs from the renowned photographer Matthew Donaldson. The book has 50 delicious and easy to prepare recipes, including a host of River Cafe classics that have been specially adapted for new cooks. The River Cafe Lookbook, recipes for cooks of all ages. Ruthie's Table 4 is a production of iHeartRadio and Atomai Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.